I always love that line in Kari Job's song, um, filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, right? Um, talking to Karen this week, that's what I want for you. If you don't have wonder, if you're not filled with awestruck wonder, you've got a huge problem. You haven't met the living God. If you've met the living God, you will be filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, right? And if you have this, uh, shall we say, deficiency in your life, I, I just want to lovingly say you, you have work to do. You, you have work to do. Now, some of you may not be Christians. Some of you probably all profess to be Christians. I don't know where you are. I know some of you better than I know others. But if you don't understand wonder, awestruck wonder, I don't think you've seen him, and I don't think you've met him. So hopefully, as we take a really close look at God in the Bible, we're just going to look at God and see what the impact of looking at God is. We've been saying this from the beginning. You must reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. I'm going to hazard a guess. Some of you walk through this door, and you haven't really reckoned with the magnitude of what it means to have a creator. You haven't really reckoned with it. You honestly haven't reckoned with it. And that you are accountable as a creature to this creator. So, it was just one sin. You heard me read the text, right? It was just one sin. It's the final answer to the ultimate question. You've been out in the world a while. I mean, most of you guys have attained a certain age. You've heard the, the question many times, I suspect. And you've probably asked the question yourself hopefully before you read the first three chapters of the Bible, what is one of the most pervasive questions in, in the world with respect to God? Why all this evil? Right? It's my understanding. I listen to a lot of atheists and agnostics on YouTube. This is the thing. This is the major thing. They have many problems. This is the major thing. So why is there mayhem and calamity. Why is there suffering, personal tragedy, natural disasters, sickness and deformity, murder, pornography, terrorists, brokenness and heartache? Why all these wars? Why all this death? Well, it's right here. Okay, I'm on page 11 in my Bible. <laughs> okay, really fast, quick, and clearly, God tells us why. Because you and I, in our first parents, Adam and Eve, declared our independence. And we'll be looking at that as we go through the text. But it was one sin. One sin. I want you to think about this. One sin blew up paradise. It blew it up. One sin subjected a two trillion galaxy cosmos. It's one sin. To corruption and futility. It was one sin against the God Isaiah saw that we talked about last week. The Holy Holy, holy God, Yahweh, the Lord God, the one who is and was and is and is to come. So we declared our independence from God and we unleashed the knowledge of evil and consequently the just wrath, vengeance, recompense and terror of an incensed God. Now, this is something that 
Some of the modern church, maybe if not most of them, has forgotten. God is incensed. God is dreadfully provoked by what? One sin. He brought it all down because of one. Now, this makes the thinking person say to himself, how many times have I sinned against the Holy One? Listen, you, 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 have, to, you have to think about this. It was one sin. And a rather innocuous sin at that, right? It wasn't like murder. It was eating something God said not to eat. You have to think about this. You have to think about it. At least I would exhort you to do that. Eleven pages into my Bible, and we already know the answer to the question. We did it, <laughs> right? Why is the world messed up? You did it. I did it. Now, this is Romans chapter 5. This is the doctrine of original sin. Most people hate it. I wasn't there. I'm not responsible. God says you were there and you are responsible. You were in the loins of Adam and Eve. Some people talk about it like this, that Adam and Eve are our federal head. God has determined this. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. God has said it, right? That's always the issue here at ICM. It doesn't matter if you like it. Doesn't really matter if I like it. All that matters is God said it. God said it. And that's the end of the discussion for us. So with one sin, we rebelled against our Creator knowingly and with premeditation. We turned our backs on a good and gracious Creator. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2.17. We let loose the horrors of evil. We did that. So stop blaming God. Stop letting your friends and colleagues and neighbors blame God. Now, they're probably doing it in ignorance. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, you can't say you're doing it in ignorance. I'm 11 pages in. I understand what happened. I get it. This is God's account. This is God's account. We're either Bible believers or we're not, right? So I, I just want to say to you, <laughs> if you're not a Bible believer, you're not going to like it here. Because this is all we do. We actually believe it. We believe God's God enough to give His revelation and preserve it for His people. We believe that. We don't have a problem with that. We simply don't have a problem with it. So we let loose the horrors of evil, God's inevitable and righteous response, and consequently, we are a damned species living on a condemned planet. As Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.7, a planet reserved for fire. So let's talk about this word, this word sin, this word that modern culture has sought to expunge from common parlance. What does the word mean? I, I just looked it up. You can go home and look it up for yourself. What does sin mean? It's a trans transgression of a religious or moral law. It's a condition of estrangement from God as a result of breaking God's law. The third uh, definition was it's an offense, a violation of fault or error. Now, I, I would submit to you that the secular definition is just a little bit too sterile, a little bit too tame a little bit too sedate. From a biblical perspective, sin is way more than an error, okay? It's way more than simply breaking a moral law. It is that, but it's much more than that. If you read your Bibles, you realize it's, it's a much harsher and severe kind of definition with respect to sin. 
Biblically, sin is the creature's premeditated rebellion against his creator. Now, are you owning your sin like this? I'm going to read it to you again. Sin is the creative, the, is the creature's premeditated rebellion against his creator. And here's the deal. If you read your Bible with, you know, average comprehension skills, you understand. Every sin is against God. You heard me read it from Psalm 51. David knew who he had sinned against. Yeah. Uriah. Yeah. Bathsheba. Yeah. His wives. Yeah. The country. Yeah. He knew. But what did he say? Against you, you only have I sinned. David got it. Can I lovingly say, maybe some of us haven't gotten it yet. This is how God talks. This is how the Lord talks. Romans 1, just to give you a couple of excerpts from Romans 1, this is who you and I are. We have not honored God nor given thanks to God, verse 21. We have exchanged the glory of God for lesser things, verse 23. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, verse 25. We have not seen fit to acknowledge God any longer, verse 28. And we have become a hater of God, verse 30. Now this is Obviously, this is the unregenerate man, the natural man, the man who is not born again. And again, every sin's personal. It's personal. This is how God sees it. Again, read your Bible, average, average comprehension skills. This is how God sees it. It's, in a personal, it's a personal affront to him and his authority. That's what sin is. It's not some failing. It's not some mistake. It's rebellion. A wholehearted kind of rebellion, according to the Bible. I've always liked American preacher John Piper's definition of sin. He says it's the suicidal exchange of the glory of God for sugar-coated substitutes. Don't you love that? Okay, when you engage in sin, oftentimes we're talking about Obviously, it's a suicidal exchange. Uh, you're, you're exchanging the glory of God for sugar-coated substitutes whose satisfaction does not last. God calls the heavens, you may know Jeremiah 2, God calls the heavens to be appalled at such lunacy. What thinking creature would do this? Exchange the glory of God for a career or for family or for happiness or for wealth? Or for a claim? Lunacy. God says, let the, let the heavens, you know Jeremiah 2, let the heavens be appalled at this. Man has forsaken, God says, me for the, fount, uh, the fountain of living waters for that which can never satisfy the broken cisterns of the world. We have forsaken the highest pleasure. Now, I'm just going to say, we got a pretty small group here, but have you, have you come to the place in your professed Christianity where you think of God as your highest pleasure? Again, if he's not your highest pleasure, you, <laughs> you've not understood. You've not understood. God means to be your highest pleasure. Your highest treasure. And if you have a pleasure or a treasure before him, you are an idolater. Again, I'm I just preached the Bible. So, uh, you may or may not like it, but these 
are the biblical truths. So we've turned our back on God. This is the ultimate cosmic outrage. How could a creature do this? Right? This is the supreme essence of evil. You remember John, John Bunyan's uh, famous book, um, Pilgrim's Progress, right? You remember all the things you could exchange your soul at Vanity Fair for? You remember all the things, uh, and I'll just give you a short list. I've mentioned some of them already. Family. Man, I, as a pastor, I see this a lot. The family usurps the position of God in someone's heart and mind. This is always wrong. Jesus made this clear. It is always wrong. Family, comfort, fine houses, acclaim, positions, games, politics, riches, success, uh, sexual perversion, and my favorite, fashionable religion. <laughs> that was one of Bunyan's, in Bunyan's list, fashionable religion. Don't you love it? Fashionable religion. Men love fashionable religion. They always have. They always have. And it can be a thousand and one things. When anything takes precedent in your life, it's like you saying, it's like you saying, you don't say it, but your life says it. No, thank you, God. No, thank you, God. I like this little thing here. I like this little dusty thing here. This is where I'm going to set my affections. This is where I set my, all my plans and hopes and dreams. This little thing. No, thank you, God. I find no satisfaction in you. I'm not interested in you. I don't think you're that interesting. Now, the words don't come off our tongue, but our lives are screaming this to our Creator. Our lives are screaming this to our Creator. So, you heard me read the text. How did we get to such an unbelievably stupid place? Adam and Eve <laughs> in the garden. It was a utopian wonderland. They had every good thing. Satisfying work, human love, sexual pleasure. They were fully immersed in joy and wonder and unbridled expectations. Think about it. There was only beauty, peace, well-being, and prosperity every day. Every day they woke up. That's what they were faced with. <laughs> and best of all, they had unencumbered fellowship with God. How did we mess this up, right? <laughs> there was only one prohibition. As I often like to say to you, there weren't five or four or three or two. There was just one. God aggressively stacked the deck for our parents and for us, in the garden, enter Satan. The prophet Ezekiel tells us that this angelic being was, listen, these are biblical words, he was blameless, he was an anointed cherub dwelling on the holy mountain of God, possessing the seal of perfection, wisdom and beauty, until unrighteousness was found in him and God cast him to the ground. Now, if you... Look at Ezekiel chapter 28. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read briefly. Or Isaiah chapter 14. It describes the fall of Satan. I'll read it to you. Just some excerpts. Listen, listen, to, listen to where evil comes from. Listen. Your heart was lifted up 
because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. You were internally filled with violence and you sinned. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. And this is exactly what he said to Eve, right? You'll be like God. You'll be just like God. And the sad truth is, men and women are out in the world, and they're, they're own, as one theologian said, they pretend to be their own little amateur sovereign. I just do whatever I want. I'm, I'm a sovereign. I'm a little teeny sovereign. I'll do whatever I want. I'm God. Basically, that's saying to everyone around you, to the world, and to God himself, I'm in charge. I do what I want. I don't care what you say. Your, your word, the word of God doesn't mean anything to me. Now, we know from last week's sermon that Isaiah <laughs> didn't feel this way. Isaiah saw Yahweh high and lifted up, Isaiah chapter 6, right? Now, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, wasn't strutting and boasting before God after he saw God, right? Beloved, this is why we're, one reason we're doing this sermon. If you've not seen God, I want you to see him. I want you to see him at least in some small way like Isaiah saw him. And I want us to have the same kind of inclination. I can't get on my face fast enough, right? The eight guys that saw him in Scripture in a glorified state. We've heard the ubiquitous question. Sometimes it's put this way. If God is good and omnipotent, why is there evil in the world? I bet you've heard it a hundred times. Maybe you don't get that question. I get that question a lot. And it's important to note here, Genesis 1.31, that according to God's summation of creation, evil is not a created thing. I mean, you should know that if you're biblically literate. God saw all that he made and it was very good. So where does this, where does this rebellion come from? Um, why is there evil in the world? The Bible clearly reveals that evil arose from the free will, moral choices of the good but mutable creatures God created. Satan, Satan's minions, and then mankind. The creature, angels and men, created good, chose to depart from goodness, enter evil. It's that simple. Eleven pages in. Don't, don't, hey, don't go out in the world and, and say you're a Christian. If, if you can't talk about this, you, ha, you have to be able to talk about this. When people slander God, when they accuse God, when they blame God, you have to be able to stand up and speak the truth, right? Why did this happen? We did it. It's because we did it. You know, it's just this narcissistic audacity, right? The whole world's blaming God for everything. <laughs> you know, the plane crashes. Where is God? No one ever asks about the, the million safe landings. Where was God on, during the million safe landings? We just have this propensity to want to blame God. 
I'm 11 pages in. My Bible says it's your fault and my fault. We were in Adam and Eve. You don't have to like it. It's God's assertion. Evil arises and metastasizes within the creature. I've always loved this analogy, these two analogies, that darkness is no thing and cold is no thing, but merely the absence of light and heat. I, I love these analogies. And I think it could be said, don't know if, it, if these analogies hold up completely, but I've always liked them. I think it could be said that evil is no thing but the absence of the love of God within the heart of the creature. I think these are great analogies. I think it helps particularly maybe unbelievers understand where we are coming from. So let me make an important theological distinction here. I told you last week a preposition will change your life. <clears throat> Be careful of prepositions. Listen closely. Clearly, to say that evil came from God is blasphemous. Clearly blasphemous, right? But to, to in turn say evil did not come by God is equally blasphemous. Because you're basically saying God's not God. If something can pop up into creation that's not um, decreed ultimately in the providences of God, then we've got a huge problem. We don't have a God at all. I'll finish the sentence. Evil has come by good, but not from good. As Bible believers understand, God is sovereign. Nothing is beyond His purpose, reach, authority, and control. And if your God does not control all things, including Satan, then you have a pseudo-God. You have a non-biblical God. Yahweh controls... <laughs> Go read the book of Job. <laughs> Yahweh controls Satan. S Satan is a dog on a leash. Okay? We understand that. While God is not the author of evil, He apparently has good reasons for allowing evil to arise within His good creation, not least being the glory of His Son in the redemption of His people. Now, I'll teach you a new word. You, you may know this word, the, uh, theodicy. Who knows this word, theodicy? Okay, it's a little bit technical. It, it, you can Google it. It just simply says, it's the vindication of God in view of the existence of evil, right? So I'm going to read you the ultimate theodicy from the Bible. Romans 9, 23. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, which He obviously was, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and He did so in order that He might make known the riches of His glory upon the vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory. The ultimate theodicy. A lot of people don't like God's vindication of His providential design. But you got to love American Pastor Francis Chan's comment on this. I love this. <laughs> I love this. Francis Chan says, oh, you don't like what God says? You don't like how he does business? You don't like how he's running the universe? Oh, he says, when you get your own universe, you can make your own standards. Let's not assume it's God's reasoning that needs correction. Listen, when you bow up against uh, biblical revelation, we know whose problem that is. It's not God's problem. It's your problem. Hey, when you get your own universe... You know what I'm saying? As Chan said, I love it. I think it's beautiful. When you get your own universe, 
then you might feel like you can critique Yahweh. So in Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to Eve. As a being that has willfully chosen to rebel against his creator, God created him holy. Satan made himself evil. And he comes to Eve. And what does he attack? You guys know. What does he attack? The word of God, right? Many people have said Eve wasn't equipped for this encounter. What do you say? You Bible lovers, what do you say? She had everything she needed. She had everything she needed to stand before this supernatural tempter. She had everything she needed. What did she have? She had the Word of God. She simply ignored it. She made a, she made a kind of a weak defense of it, but ultimately she ignored it. And the rest is history. Satan only has two lies because you and I fall for him every time. Only two. That's all he's got. That's all he's got. One, he used this one on Eve. God's holding out on you. You deserve that fruit. Whatever the prohibition was, you deserve that. You're a victim. You're the victim here. <laughs> this is one of Satan's lies. You're the, you're the victim here. You deserve more. You deserve better. God's holding out on you. Secondly, Satan is saying, again, he used this one as well. Sin's better. There's more pleasure in it. There's more pleasure in sin, temporal sin, than there is in the most beautiful, interesting, compelling being in the cosmos, your creator, right? So God had told our first parents that to sin was to die. Of course, obviously, spiritual death, excluded from the life of God kind of death, Ephesians 4.18. Obviously, physical death. Lastly, the final and second death being cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. I've always loved how Lewis talks about man's fall in the garden. He says, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve wanted to be nouns. Do you understand? He said, but they can only ever be adjectives. Don't you love this? They wanted it to be about them. They wanted to be the subject of the cosmos. It's what I want, right? What I want. They wanted to be nouns. All they could ever be, as C.S. Lewis says, is adjectives. That's all they'll ever be. And all you and I will ever be is adjectives. And we will modify the greatness of God one of two ways. Either as his, as his justice rains down on us in perfect righteousness, in condemnation forever in hell, or he will be glorified in the salvation of your soul. He will be glorified. Whichever way you choose, he will be glorified. I always love that. Adjectives. <laughs> Adjectives. Adam and Eve's sin. Did you notice? Did you? You probably are familiar with the account. Immediately, they begin, they begin an earnest search for God. Is that how your Bible reads? Immediately, they begin looking for God, and they couldn't find God. And they wanted to find God, but they couldn't find God. How does your Bible read? They were hiding from God. Okay, 
Who came looking for whom? You, you know the text. I didn't read it all, but you know the text. <laughs> they were hiding from God. They were indeed hiding from the Lord. I'm going to read to you just briefly. Uh, just bear with me for a moment. Romans 3, 10 through 18. I, I may not read it all. I don't want to go too long here. I've got a lot of verses tonight. But listen to what Paul says. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek for God. They were not seeking for God. You're not seeking for God lest God, John chapter 6, through the mouth of Jesus, is drawing you to himself. This is who mankind is, okay? Just go read. I don't have time. I don't want to go too long tonight. Just go read John, uh, pardon me, Romans 3, 10 through 18. We know this is who we are. He ends that, 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 that portion of Scripture there. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They've not reckoned with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God, right? The great folly of mankind. This is what sound biblical theologians call the total depravity of man, right? Jeremiah writes, The heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Solomon writes, The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. If you want the scripture references, email me. I'll send you my notes. You know what Jesus said? That which proceeds out of the man is the thing that defiles him. For within the man proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within the man and defile the man. We know what the Apostle Paul wrote. Man, natural man does not accept the things of God and is hostile toward God. Now this is who you and I are apart from the overture of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the regenerating work of the Spirit. So please, I want you to learn how to, if you haven't already, probably most of you had, you, need, you have to dispense with this mythology of I was seeking God. You've never sought God on your own in your life. This is a biblical truth. No man out there is seeking God. No woman is seeking God. No child is seeking God apart from the drawing of God. John, again, John 6, Jesus said it. A couple of times in John 6, he alludes to it. Of course, that was when, you remember? <laughs> all the people left. And this is what happens when you preach all the truth. A lot of people leave. They don't want to hear that. You know, stroke me, pet me. I don't want to hear the truth. We understand that that is epidemic in the modern church. We understand that even many who profess to be Christians are hiding from God in a pseudo-church, right? You can actually hide from God in a pseudo-church. That's the most inconspicuous place to hide, of course. So what's the most beautiful question in the Bible? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Genesis 3, verse 9. God's righteous judgment will bring down the whole cosmos, but he is making provision for those who will repent and believe. It's right there in Genesis chapter 3. I don't have time to go into all of the text. It's not that God doesn't know where Adam is. It's that God knows that Adam doesn't know where Adam is. He is lost in a metaphysical sense. And of course, Adam's like you and me. He pretty much 
he, he's pretty sure he's a victim here, right? I mean, why the tree? I get this question. <laughs> Do you get this question? Why the tree? It's like, really? Why the tree? Really? You're asking me that? Why the tree? Why the prohibition? Granted, there was only one commandment, but you know, why the one? Why free will? Couldn't God build a more user-friendly universe? And while we're on this, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. Isn't this the, the, the quintessential principle of victimhood? You shift blame. It's obvious. At least in Adam's mind, he's a victim. And of course, Eve is a victim too. Well, it was the creature that you created <laughs> that tempted me. She's a victim too. We're all victims. Apparently, I just want you to understand, and I want to say this, it's, exceeding pro it's, it's exceedingly profitable for each one of us to understand the precise origin of human victimhood. It involved the devil, it involved evil, and it involved a lie. God judged Satan, he judged the woman, he judged the man. The whole cosmos was subjected to futility and corruption, Romans 8. A death sentence was infallibly, infallibly pronounced. We would return to dust. So why is the world this way? Why is the world this way? I couldn't help but think of, I guess, I was here, it was our first year here, 2004, when the Indian Ocean tsunami took out a quarter of a million people. And I got all kinds of questions about that. You know? Where was God? If God were good, He would have prevented this. Why did God let this happen? If God were omnipotent, He would have stopped this. Could God, couldn't God have stopped it? God's either not there, He's not good, or He's not almighty. You know what you never hear in light of what we've been talking about thus far? You never hear... That's on us. That's on us. That's part of the judgment we deserve for declaring our independence from God. That's on us. You never hear that. You never hear that. What did God say to Adam and Eve there in Genesis 3, 17? Cursed is the ground because of what? You. Why are there tsunamis? You. You. And me. It's a planet in rebellion against their creator. And judgment has been pronounced. Right? What does it say in Romans chapter 1? For the judgment of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. You say, Jim, why is the world messed up? Part of it is, you know, the, the, the fruit of wickedness and sin. And part of it is the, the fierce wrath and judgment of God. You're supposed to know this and under, be able to understand it. You're supposed to be, what shall we say, fluent in being able to speak about this. Why, is, why are there tsunamis? American preacher John Piper says it as well as it can be said. Bear with me. I'm going to read a somewhat lengthy quote to you. I want you to hear this. I'd like for you to email me. I'll send the quote to you and you can have it. And you can tape it in your Bible if you feel like you should. Why are there tsunamis and every other calamity? The sufferings of this life 
Okay, I want you to listen for the, the word that, that, that is heard seven times. You're going to hear it seven times. I want you to listen for it. The sufferings of this life are part of a universal God-decreed God collapse of creation into disorder because of sin. God has subjected the world to futility because of sin. Therefore, all the misery in the world, and it is great, is a bloody declaration about the ghastly horror of sin. All natural evil is a statement about the horror of moral evil. You know, a lot of biblical... A lot of people who call themselves Christians are, do never, never make this connection. And because they have weak teaching, they never make this connection. I want you to hear it again. All natural evil, tsunamis, are a statement about the horror or moral evil. Calamities are God's previews of what sin deserves and will one day receive in judgment. They are warnings. God's merciful shouts to us in, in calamities. Wake up! Sin is like this. Sin leads to things like this. The natural world is shot through with horrors to wake us from the dream world of thinking sin is no big deal. It is a horrifically big deal. All the disorder in the world is a physical picture of the moral disorder we have willfully embraced. All calamity is a foreshadowing of the supernatural eternal calamity awaiting every impenitent soul. That is eternal conscious punishment in hell. You say, Jim, that's like last century kind of preaching. Well, if you actually have any knowledge of the Gospels, you will read that Jesus Christ is a hellfire, a hellfire preacher. There's more from hell coming off his lips than any other person in the Bible. It's, it's a scandal, a blasphemous scandal, that the modern church will not speak of it. It's like saying, I'm embarrassed what my God, my, the God I profess to love, says. You go to your average church, you'll never hear it. I'm an old guy. I've been around a long time. I was, I was a layman. I went to seminary at 42. So I'm saying to you guys, I haven't been a pastor all my life. I used to visit churches and, and, and go around, and I would preach at various places as a layman. And, and people would come up to me and say, I've never heard this before. I, I, I've, I've, I've heard rumor of it. I've heard the, 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 you know, what's the word I want? Rumor's a good one. Show me where that is in Scripture. Of course, shame on us if we do not know the scriptures, right? The biblical God says, I will act in wrathful hostility against you. Leviticus 26, 28. He's unapologetic. He's not trying to hide anything from you. It's like I told you last week. He speaks to us like we're adults. You may not want to be spoken to in that way, but God speaks to us like adults. I'm going to read it to you again. I will act in wrathful hostility against you. I will pour out my wrath on sin. Ezekiel 30, verse 15. So all tragedy and death are the outworking of God's wrath owing to our unending provocations aimed at our Creator. If we are biblically literate, this is not a mystery. Why all this calamity? 
It's the consequence of one sin and it prefigures eternal ruin. So I'll have a warning. God's visible judgment in the natural realm is warning us about the reality and severity of His promised judgment in the supernatural realm. When you see horrible things, you need to remember, one, we unleashed it. Two, we deserve it from the righteous hand of God. And three, it's a warning. You remember the story when they came to Jesus and asked him about the tower that fell on the people. What was his answer? You remember? Why did, why did the tower fall on these people? Do you remember Jesus' response? It wasn't because they were worse than you. He said, repent. You know, repent. Repent for judgment. He didn't explain it. He called the people to repent. And it's one thing I'm calling you to tonight. We are not victims, beloved. We are not victims. We are malevolent rebels who have offended a holy, almighty, and very dangerous God. Jim, I don't like that. Well, that's the truth. If you don't want to be spoken to as an adult, you probably shouldn't come back here. I'm just saying. You have not misunderstood. It is as bad as it possibly can be. What did I tell you before we started? This truth about God, it will drive you to the cross. Okay, denominationalism, uh, ordinances, magic prayers will not save you from this God. This incensed God. You must have a great Savior. You need the Son of God. You need Jesus Christ. They just ate some fruit, you know? It was just, it was just fruit. But here's the inescapable truth. Before holy God, there are no small sins. There are no inoffensive sins, no matter how harmless they seem to you. Every sin is a determined act of creature rebellion. It is a personal assault on God and on His authority. This is how God sees sin. Your sin, my sin, is heinous beyond description before an infinitely holy God. And I fear that at least in large measure, much of the modern church has, has no deep sense of the truth of that statement. Oh, I can have grace. I can have it any time I want. I'll just come to God later. Or, you know, let's, you know, grace is, is abound, so let's sin all the more. Obviously, these kinds of statements are not congruent with the scriptural truth. I'm going to close with this. This is the God who is an infinitely holy God who hates sin. David reminds us, Yahweh Psalm 7, verse 11, is a righteous judge who has indignation every day. It's not like God has to work it up. He has indignation every day against every sin in the world. What is it, 7 billion now? 7 billion people? Do you have this view of God in your mind? David also said, God, Psalm 5, 5, go look it up for yourself. 
God hates all who do iniquity. God is dreadfully provoked. If there's, this is the greatest message that needs to be preached right now in the modern church. We have a caricature of Jesus in our heads. You remember when he comes back, right? The lamb? The angry lamb. Is it Revelation 6? The angry lamb. And men run and try to hide from the angry lamb. Okay, so all we've talked about, it was one sin, right? It was one sin. I think if we're thoughtful, what? Doesn't the question emerge? Doesn't the question emerge? How many times have I sinned against the Holy One? <clears throat> but sin's not a big deal. We got the cross. Can I lovingly say if that's how you think, you have no clue about the God of the Bible or the Gospel. Absolutely no clue. Beloved, these sermons on the nature of God are meant to drive us to our face that we will come before Jesus Christ and genuinely repent and place our faith in Him. Not in my denomination, not in the prayer I prayed, not in the ordinance I did, not in my Christian parents and the fact that I grew up in the church. All that stuff will take you to hell. But you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's where this is taking us. That's where this is taking us. And a good look at God will make it clear you must have Jesus Christ. You must. This is not negotiable. I must have Him. I must have Him. Let's pray together.